0: In December 2010, the daughter and son-in-law of Jim Cantalon, the well-known Canadian anchor of the Hundred Huntley Show, Hundred Huntley Street Show, um, they went over to Africa with their three children. And they were there for only about 3 months when when Jim's son-in-law was working on one of the orphanages He had a grinder and doing some some work on on one of the tin roofs. And uh, while he was working, the wheel on the grinder flew off, hit him in the head, and killed him instantly. This just happened just actually a few weeks ago. uh, Katie came home with her three children, and uh, without... Without the husband, without the father, and one looks at that and wonders, what on earth God is doing? Where is God in all this? How could this happen? You'd think that if you're doing the right thing for God, that things would be different, that things would turn out all right. The fact of the matter is, is that things don't always turn out right. And so this morning, I want to talk to you this morning uh, about what happens when God doesn't make sense. And there's not a person here this morning, I don't think, that could say, I've never had anything disappointing or anything wrong ever happen in my life. There's not a person here today, I don't think, that has been untouched by pain, by suffering, by sorrow of one kind or another. Eventually eventually every one of us experiences some disappointment and we ask ourselves the question, God, where are you? How could this happen? I thought you loved me. The preacher promised that if I gave my heart to you that everything would go well, everything would go smoothly. I thought that I thought that I was supposed to be the recipient of all your blessings. How is it that at some times God seems to bless us in such incredible ways and yet at the same time he seems to take things away from us and it hurts us terribly? You'd think that if you were doing the right things for God that things would turn out right some of you are here today and you have been through incredible pain. Some of you are right in the middle of a crisis in your family, in your life right now, and you're, you're that one that's scratching their head today, wondering, God, what's going on? How could this happen? How could you allow this? And you wonder, you're doing the right things for God. How could these things happen? In the late 1700s, a man by the name of William Carey felt a call to go to India to preach the gospel. And, and he took his wife. His wife was a little reluctant. She didn't really want to leave Britain. The comforts and the civility, the high society that she enjoyed in her homeland. But she went with her husband anyway. And while she was there, she was so overwhelmed and so overcome by the living conditions and the strange culture that she did not understand. She was distressed that she seemed to have no privacy and, and, and she felt unsafe and unprotected and, and she began to experience a dementia that eventually led to her early death. And William Carey scratched his head and wondered, where is God in all this? Because you'd think if you're doing the right things for God that things would turn out right. He prayed, cried out to God, and God seemed to honor that prayer. And he gave William Carey a wife, another wife, to replace his first wife that died. And he experienced great joy until one day she too became very sick and died. In devastation, he went to that quiet place to pray and say, God, where are you and what are you doing? Because you'd think, if you're doing the right things for God, that everything would turn out all right. It wasn't shortly after that, after being in that land for 20 years, after losing his two wives, that all all his translation work, translating the Bible into the Hindu language, all his notes, 20 years' worth of notes, all went up in flames as fire took over the little place that he lived. And he cried out to God and he said, God, what on earth is going on? How could you allow this? Because you'd think, if you were doing the right things for God, that everything would turn out all right. There's a man who didn't understand what was happening in his life. About 10 years ago, we got news. uh, The doctor confirmed that Gloria was expecting our fourth child. It was a girl, we were going to call her Hannah. About three months into the pregnancy, there's a bit of spotting and, and the appointment had been made for us to go to, to have, a, uh, to have a, an ultrasound to see what was going on. Before we could ever make it to that appointment, we miscarried. And I can remember thinking at that time, God, we have given, literally given our lives to serve you, to ministry, literally given everything. And you'd think that if you're doing the right things for God, that everything would turn out all right. Maybe you're here today, and you've got your story of of unbelievable grief and pain that you've experienced, and you wonder, God, where have you been in all of this? And maybe you have had people come to you and say, you know, if you only had a little bit more faith, if you, only you had known how to pray, if only you would known the formula to get through to God, then you wouldn't have had to suffer like that or go through that. I want to talk to you this morning about a radical faith, a radical faith that trusts God, not because everything turns out perfect for you, but a radical faith that says, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to believe that God loves me, no matter what. A friend of mine, by the name of Bob Dawson, some of you have heard that name before. Bob Dawson was the bus driver at Calvary Temple for many years. His responsibility was to bring kids to church, to Sunday school. He literally saw himself as a partner with Pastor Barber. He would tell Pastor Barber, Pastor, I'll bring, the, I'll bring them in and you preach the gospel to them. And he's a heavy-duty mechanic. He bought, over the years, literally scores of buses. Fixed them up, painted them, got bus drivers and bus captains. His own wife acted uh, as the, a as the director on Sunday morning speaking to all the bus drivers, telling them where to go and what to do and and which kids to pick up. I remember the day we got word that they were at the beach and their young son drowned. I didn't know that little boy that well, but I certainly knew the family well. And I can remember the feelings of utter shock and bewilderment. God, how could you let this happen? Because you'd think that if you were doing the right things for God, that everything would turn out all right. I wondered what would happen. I remember that very clearly, and I wasn't very old myself at the time when it happened, but I remember it very clearly, like it happened yesterday. I wondered if we would see them in church again. I remember thinking that. I wonder if they'll keep coming to church. Because after all, they were serving God. And how could God allow that to happen? He did show up for church. And he did drive the bus. And he kept on driving the bus. And he kept on driving the bus. And on the weekends when everybody was going to the cottage, he was coming into town with his bus to take a whole busload of kids out to Red Rock Youth Camp. And he did that for six weeks of the summer. Faithfully. Faithfully. Year in and year out, and it wasn't that many years ago that his eldest son was sick, took some drugs for his cold. I'm not exactly sure the circumstances, but the, around that. But it's certain that the that the drugs that he was taking for his cold killed him. And I wondered what will happen to Bob now after losing two of his sons. I was an adult now and in the ministry, and I remember taking Bob aside one day and saying, Bob, how do you feel about this? I just I have to know. And you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. Maybe it's too, too sensitive and, and maybe it's too difficult to talk about, but I need to know. Because you'd think if you are doing the right thing for God that everything would turn out all right. And you know what he said to me? He said, Alan, I know that God still loves me and I know that God loves my family and I know that God loves my sons. I don't understand it. I don't know why it happened, but I do know this. I do know that God loves me and he loves my family and I believe that God will use this for his own purposes. I want you to look at this verse, because what Bob said to me is absolutely based on what we read here in Romans, and if you would read that with me, and we know that that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I don't know why God works the way he does. I don't know why God allows things the way that he does. But I do know this. I do know that God is good all the time. And I know that God has my best interests at heart. And I do know that God has a plan, a plan that maybe I don't get, but I do know that He understands and He knows. And I'm going to say this to you right now. This is hard to accept. In fact, I'm going to say this. It's impossible for you to accept this unless you have begun to understand God's love for you. And once you understand that love, you can accept Maybe not easily, but you can accept that God's at work in your life and He loves you. The Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, was Saul. That was his name. He was a zealous Jew that wanted to serve God in the way he knew best, and his idea was that the best way for him to serve God would be to go and kill all those people who were Christians. Remember, the early church was a branch off of Judaism. And the Jewish leaders at the time, they hated Christ, and they hated those who were followers of Christ. And Saul thought, man, if he goes out, he can win some major brownie points with God and with the Jewish leaders. And, and who knows, maybe he someday would be leader of his nation. And so what does he do? He goes out and he starts killing Christians. He starts terrorizing the church. He's traveling from town to town, village to village, trying to smoke out the Christians so that he can kill them. We come across Stephen, one of the very first elders of the church, appointed by God because he was a man, the Bible says in Acts 6-5, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that after Stephen was appointed as an elder, it says that the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Wow, now there's a man you want to have on your team. There's a man you want to have serving your church and serving your city and your community, right? There's a powerful, precious, valuable member of the kingdom of God and it says in verse 8 now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people so not only is he a great elder not only is he a great preacher not only is he full of power and the Holy Spirit and has great wisdom but in fact he's got the ability to do miracles and people's lives are transformed, and people are experiencing the miraculous, and souls are saved, and people are healed. Now, wouldn't you say that this was a valuable man? Wouldn't you say this is a guy you want to keep around for as long as you can? But Saul had his eye on this man and saw Stephen as a threat to Judaism. And so Stephen with all, or Paul, Saul, with all his power and with all his influence, went after Stephen and took him before the Sanhedrin, prepared to stone him for what? For blasphemy, because of his faith in Christ. When Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin looked at him, and it says in verse 59, that while they were stoning him, while they were stoning Stephen, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He didn't say, God, get them for this. God, make sure that these people who are killing me now are cursed. Make sure, God, that you find a place for them in hell. He doesn't say that. This is what it says. It says in verse 60 of Acts chapter 7, Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. God, this does not make sense. This This is a vulnerable time in the life of the church. The church is brand new. They're just starting out. They're just getting established. They're just getting on their feet. They need Stephen. They need Stephen there to preach the gospel and to lead people to Christ. They need Stephen there to to pray for the sick. They need Stephen there, a man of God who can lead people to Christ. God, how could you let this happen? But it did, and you would think that if you just did the right things for God, that everything would turn out right. The uh, the killer Saul, it says in Acts chapter eight, verse one, stood by watching, and it says that Saul approved of this killing. But he saw, Saul saw the look on Stephen's face, Saul saw in Stephen something that was genuine, something that was unlike anything he'd ever seen or heard before. He saw the very presence of Christ. Now, I want you to recognize something. Bible scholars are convinced, most many are convinced, at this moment when stephen was stoned this moment when when saul the killer looked on that at this moment saul's heart was pierced with the reality and the truth of who jesus christ was so that just just a matter of of a few passages later, Jesus Christ confronts Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul came face to face with Jesus Christ because of the faithfulness of Stephen. I wonder, I wonder that if when, Saul, who became Paul, I wonder if when he wrote these words that you see on the screen here this morning, I wonder if maybe he wasn't thinking about Stephen. About how Stephen, serving God and valuable in the kingdom, lost his life at the very earliest stages of his ministry. I wonder if he thought of these words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to To his purpose you see what what we sometimes don't understand is that God has a plan in the midst of the darkness that we know nothing about a plan that's far greater far bigger than anything that we could ever imagine Saul goes on to become the Apostle Paul who becomes instrumental in bringing the gospel to the whole world at that time not only that, he becomes the greatest contributor to the New Testament. God had His reasons. God had His plans. Now I'm not saying that that's the full plan, but I'm saying that there's a the start of God's plan. You're here this morning and you can't figure out why things are the way they are in your life. You can't figure out why things have gone the way they've gone. You can't understand why you face the the, the suffering and the pain and, and all you've ever wanted to do is just serve God. And you'd think if you served God with all your heart that everything would be all right. I want you to know this morning that Satan will try to do everything in his power to destroy your faith, to undermine your faith, to steal your faith, because he is a robber and a thief. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I'm going to tell you this morning that true faith vibrant faith, mature faith, is the faith that says, Jesus, I trust you. God, I trust you. Not because everything's going the way I think it should go, but I trust you because I know you are good. And I know that you do all things well. Can you say that this morning? God does love you. And he has a plan that you know nothing about. And some of us may get a glimpse on this earth of what, what it was really all about, but I, I dare say this. For many of us, we won't know about it until we get to the other side. We call that place heaven. Now, I want you to know something about this passage. This passage here, this is, they call this one of the you know, the comforting promises of the word. I want you to know something. This is not just to comfort you and make you feel better. You know? So here's a Valium and <laughs> I'm going to feel better now. That's not what this is. This is the deepest theology. The theology that you can stand firm on, a, an unshakable foundation for your life. So that when things aren't going the way you think they should go, you can come and stand on this word and know that God has a plan in place for you. And what is that plan? Well, in verse 29, it says, God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the starting place for you, my friends. God wants to make you like Jesus, like his son. God did not promise you, and if anybody told you this, then they're not telling you the truth, but God never promised you that your life, once you became a Christian, would only be happy all the time. You know that. You've heard me say that before. What is God's real plan for your life? God's plan for your life is that you become like Jesus. That's it. That you become like Jesus and be fit, made fit for heaven. That God can prepare you for eternity. But here's the thing. If you don't understand this, if you don't understand the way God's working, if you don't know that God is trying to do that in the lives of of all who put their faith in him, then I'm going to tell you that life just won't make sense to you. It'll just become a big mystery and, and you'll begin to doubt God. But God's, God's plan for you is not necessarily that you own, own a house or have a big house or own a nice car or have a big bank account. Contrary to what you might hear from the ministers out of the southern states, I don't find that in my Bible. And I challenge anybody to come to me and show me and make a case for that. That's not God's plan. God's plan is that you become like Jesus. And that's, my friends, a bit of an insight into what's going on in your life. And it's not just for you. God's will for your children is that they also be conformed or made into the image of Jesus, to be made like Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you something. But things don't go right. satan That's the moment Satan moves in and says, in your ear, see, I told you. God doesn't really love you. See, I told you. God doesn't really care about your life. God doesn't really care. And you know what? Satan will try to say to you, he'll say, and you know what? God, God's mad at you because of all the bad things you've done, and now this is what you deserve. I'm going to tell you, that's just lies from hell. true and vibrant and mature faith says i'm going to believe god i'm going to trust god that he's going to work for my good regardless of what happens i was uh coming out of a car park back a few uh year or two ago and i recognized the guy that's in the in the in the booth and i said hey i haven't seen you for years how are you doing now this guy he was he was like the most on fire Christian I'd ever known, and I think I have ever known. He was the kind of guy that would just drag people into church. If you were walking by the church, he'd drag you in. Say, and somehow somehow you'd follow him in. Like he just was so persuasive and, and so, such a bubbly character and so on fire and so excited. He'd get you into the church, and he literally brought dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of people to church, and and many of them became Christians. He's that kind of on fire kind of guy. Big smile. And quoting scripture, well, he, he had all, all kinds of chapters of the Bible memorized off by heart. It was absolutely amazing. And so I said, man, is it ever good to see you? What are you doing these days? Where are you going to church? What's happening? He said, I don't go to church anymore. And it suddenly occurred to me, this guy's not smiling. He's not happy. So what happened to you? You know what he said? He said, I... I was praying, praying for a wife, and prayed for a wife, and prayed for a wife, and never got one. And so I decided that God didn't love me, and I turned away from God. And now he lives a bitter, angry life, angry at God, and consequently angry at church, and angry at everything he'd ever heard preached in church. He lost his faith. What happened? He believed the lie. He believed the lie that says, God really loves you. Nothing bad or difficult. No suffering will ever come near you. He believed that lie. He felt betrayed by God. After all, he had done so much for God. He had led so many people to Christ. He memorized chapters of the Bible. And you'd think, That if you're doing the right things for God, that everything would turn out right. Before you go from here today, there's a few things you've got to know if you're going to understand your faith and if you're going to mature and grow as a Christian. First of all, you need to understand that this world is not your home. Do you know that? Many of us live our lives as though we're going to be here for eternity. Guess what? You're not. Shauna's turning 49 years old today. And it's half over, Shauna. <laughs> okay, to be fair, like my turn's next month. <laughs> I'm turning 49. Guess what? This ride went quick, folks. It went so quick. And the older I get, the more I realize, man, this world really isn't my home. And the house that I own, I don't own it. I'm just living in it for a while. That van that I drive, that dirty van, the passenger door that doesn't work, that doesn't take bumps very well, I don't own that van. I wish I didn't own that van. (laughs) It's going to be a, a rust heap soon. And don't anybody make any jokes about Ford. This world's not our home, folks. I'm going to tell you, this is something you've got to learn immediately if you're going to mature in your faith. If you think that your life is all about what happens here on this earth, you don't, you don't get it. You don't get it at all because you were saved for eternity. When you became a Christian, my friends, heaven began that day. Did you know that? We're here for a short time. Some of us are here for a longer time. I said to my wife just the other day, like, when, it, when it's my time to go, I want out of here. I don't want to hang around. I don't want to, I don't want to hang around sick and decrepit and dementing. I, don't want, I want to go to heaven and get it over with. I'm going to get on to the place where God really intended me to be. Do you understand what I'm saying today? This world's not our home. And yet we live our lives as though we're going to be here forever. Like the most important thing is my career, my house, my car, my savings accounts, my prestige, my honor. It's nothing. These things the Bible says are all going to pass away. What matters is your eternity. And the Bible's clear that what you do now, what happens now, is going to echo in eternity. And some of us aren't ready for it, quite frankly. So if you want to understand what's going on in your life right now, the first thing you need to know is that everything, contrary to what you're going to hear on TV from TV preachers, Everything in this world until Jesus Christ comes again and sets up his eternal kingdom, everything in this world is subject to decay, to death, to destruction until Jesus Christ is revealed. And we'll be given a new body, and hallelujah for that. And we'll be given a brand new creation. This world is not your home. And your job, my friends, is to get ready for eternity, to bring as many people with you. That's why we're going to Zambia. Not because I want to have a holiday in Zambia. Believe me, it's not going to be a holiday. I'll be staying in a tent and working the whole time. I'm doing that because I'm getting ready for eternity. And one of my stops to heaven is Zambia, by the way. Do you get this? And we know that all, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And so things are not working out the way you expect them to in this world. Remember this. This world's not your home. You're passing through. Oh, you know what? My grandma, my grandma Duncalf, my dad's mom. Ah! That might be the most important thing she ever passed on to me because she'd always say to me, we'd be sitting there having a cup of tea and a biscuit, a dad's cookie. Anybody, Anybody remember dad's cookies? Yeah, always had a can of dad's cookies. And I could always have about eight or nine or... 12 of them, she didn't care. Grandpa was another thing, though. And then she'd sit there and say, you know what, Ellen, I just want to go home. She started saying this probably in her late 70s, early. I'd be sitting there for her teens. She said, I just want to go home. And I said, well, please not right now. (laughs) And you know what I'm talking about. She wanted to go to heaven. She's tired of this old world. I'm ready to go. I want to go and be with my mother. I want to go and... Her son passed away when he was a young man and she wanted to go be with him. She wanted to go be with Jesus. She, this world's not her home. That's what you've got to know. The second thing you've got to know is that God's main concern in this life is that you become like his son Jesus. That's the most important thing. I'm going to tell you something. God may very well allow some pain, some suffering, some struggles in your life to discipline you, to get your attention, and to point you to, to Jesus so that you become like him. And the third thing you need to understand is that God has called you and me to be partners with him in advancing his kingdom. What do you think Stephen thought? The incredibly gifted and talented Stephen, what do you think he thought as those stones came for hurling at him? Don't you think he began to wonder maybe a little bit, but God, why am I being stoned? I'm one of your choice servants. He doesn't say that. He just says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, and into, into your hands I commit my spirit. Does that remind you of anyone? Yeah, Jesus. 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 And I want you to know Jesus understands your pain. He understands your struggle. He understands your suffering like no one else can or ever could. Look at this next passage here. What then shall we say? In response to these things, if God is for us, say it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You've got to know that this is a promise concerning heaven. And I'm going to tell you this. If even God gave his only son, is it too much to ask that maybe God might require your life as well? You say, Pastor, what kind of a sermon is this? I'll tell you what kind it is. It's the real thing. It's the real Christianity that is not popular in the year 2011. Jesus said this, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And for some of us, it might mean that we go home a little earlier than the others. But I'm going to tell you this, this world is not our home. And if God is able to make us like his son Jesus and get us fit for heaven, well, guess what? Then we're ready to be used by God in any way that he wants because, my friends, that is what it means to be a follower of Christ. That is what it means to say, Jesus, I'm ready to serve you. Agatha Moyer wrote a song. Uh, I believe it was a, for a friend that was, uh, had cancer. And... Um, and there's all kinds of questions. Why? Why, God? Why are things the way they are? Why is this happening? Well, I pray that this song will minister to your hearts and then we'll, we'll dismiss. Shauna? They're going to say, you know, if you only had more faith, you wouldn't be going through this. If you had more faith, God... God would have changed things around and answered your prayers and things would have been different. Some people think that with faith they can manipulate God and make Him do whatever they want. My friends, that is not faith at all. That's an immaturity. The petulant child that demands God do as they say. The mature faith The faith that brings glory and honor to God is the faith that says, God, I will accept your will. Not my will, but thine be done. This is the faith that causes Satan and all his minions to run for cover because that's the faith that changes history. That's the faith that changes families. That's the faith that brings down the powers of darkness and allows the light of God's love to break through a broken and hurting world. This morning, I call you to a faith that says, God, I will surrender my life to you. Take my life, O God, and use it for your glory and for your purposes. That will bring glory to God. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Lord, your word says that when we pass through the waters, you will be with us. When we pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over us. When we walk through the fire, we will not be burned. The flames will not set us ablaze, for he is the Lord our God, the Holy One of Israel, our Savior. And since we are precious and honored in His sight, and because He loves us, we need not be afraid, for He is with us. He is making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. God, this morning, we confess our faith in you. We believe, O oh God, that you know what's best for us. We know, O oh God. You know it's best for our families. You know it's best for our children. And even more than that, God, we know that we have the privilege and the honor of partnering with you and bringing hope and light to this broken world. And if even Stephen, one of the most gifted, godly men that's ever mentioned in those 66 books called the Bible, if even he, if his life had to be taken at that young age, at the prime of his service, God, can we say that we should be spared? In fact, no. You've called us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you. So God, this morning we surrender to you Our children, our parents, our friends, our career, our possessions, our finances, all of our struggles. We surrender it all to you, O God, and we say, Lord, have your way in my life. God, we know that this is the faith that pleases you. This is the faith that brings glory and honor to your name. And, by the way, this is a faith that brings joy to our hearts. So, God, we commit ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Would you tell someone beside you, God is so good.